Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk news radio program. And I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice, and my guest today is Andrea Miller. Andrea Miller is the Executive Director of People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group, a non-profit that promotes clean energy. Andrea is a former congressional candidate, a fierce advocate of solar energy, climate justice, and fair voting practices. As a consultant to state and county emergency management agencies, Andrea understands, of course, the importance of maintaining critical infrastructure, power, and communication. As an IT professional, Ms. Miller is responsible for PD Action's digital strategy, and she customizes advocacy tools for small to medium-sized organizations through the Progressive Support Project. In 2008, Andrea Miller was the Democratic nominee for Congress for Virginia's 4th District. She's on the front line of stopping pipelines in the Mid-Atlantic, breaking up Dominion, Virginia, and of course, peopledemandingaction.org. And she is now (laughs) running for the Rappahannock Electric Cooperative Board for Region 6. Andrea, I could go on and on and on, but maybe I should stop and let you get it a word. So welcome Andrea Miller again, and forgive the long intro, but hey, you've done it all. How are you? Hi, Martello. Thank you so much for having me. And yes, the office I'm running for is Board of Directors, Region 6, for Rappahannock Electric Cooperative. And that's in the Commonwealth of Virginia, yes? Yes, it is. As a matter of fact, Rappahannock Electric Cooperative spans 22 counties and towns in Virginia. It is the third largest energy provider in the Commonwealth. Wow. So why haven't, I shouldn't assume this maybe, but why haven't more people heard about it? Well, the reason more people haven't heard about it is 
most people, when you go to your light switch, you turn it on, the lights come on. That's about as far as they think about their electric service, how they get it, and where it comes from. You normally don't think about it until you throw the light switch and the light doesn't come on, and you're like, I know I paid that bill. What the heck is going on? Yes, exactly. so in the United States, now notice I'm saying United States, and I'm not limiting, limiting this to Virginia. Mm-hmm. In the United States, there are two types of companies that provide electricity to consumers. Most people know about the investor-owned utilities. You're going to love this. Uh-huh. Otherwise, known as IOUs. <laughs> and an investor-owned utility, our most famous one in Virginia, of course, is Dominion Energy. Yes. And then Dominion Energy is in all cities, or basically Dominion Energy is everywhere that was urban in 1933, mm-hmm. rural electric cooperatives are in places that were rural in 1933. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, they are, of course, not in the city of Richmond. They are not in the city of Charlottesville. But when we look in Charlottesville, they are in northern Albemarle County, which was rural in the 1930s. Gotcha. So so the rural, obviously in its name, but just because you keep saying it, I want to be, make certain we're clear for everyone, the a rural electric cooperative exists to provide energy in rural areas? Yes. And what's interesting is a lot of areas that were rural in the 1930s are, of course, now very large suburbs. Yes, I should think. But but because in Virginia, the rural electric cooperatives have, they call them, certificated territories. That means this is their service territory, even if it's not rural. So the big investor-owned utilities like Dominion can't come in and say, oh, this golf course community now with 400 homes that was rural in 1930 certainly isn't rural now. We'll (laughs) take them as customers, thank you very much. They can't do that. The rural electric cooperatives, territory is protected even though in many, many cases, it is no longer, quote, rural. It's now suburban. Interesting. So how does Dominion Energy feel about that? No one cares. (laughs) The law very plainly says, not your territory, go away. Well, I know there's been a lot of conflict, especially, I believe it was the James River. Dominion Energy is doing all kinds of things against the environment, the health of the environment. Is it just about, I sound so naive saying this, but is it just about the money? Basically, yes. For instance, Dominion Energy has very little electricity that they sell that is generated 
from clean energy sources. If you look at an energy map and you compare Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, and West Virginia, you will see that all throughout North Carolina, there are tons and tons of solar farms that are generating electricity. When you look in West Virginia, you will see a lot of facilities that are generating wind energy. And when you look in Maryland, you will see a lot of solar. When you look in Virginia, you will see a lot of coal, you will see a lot of gas, and you will see um, and a nuclear. So Virginia has significantly less clean energy production than all of its neighboring states. Wow. So when we look at Dominion that still has coal-fired plants, anyone knows if you cook with coal, you end up producing waste. And so what happens with these coal-fired plants is all around them, you have coal ash ponds. Now, when Dominion basically built the coal ash ponds, they were supposed to make sure they were lined so that the content, which are very, very toxic, did not get into the groundwater. Well, Dominion didn't properly line some of the pond and didn't bother to line some of them at all. Mm. So, of course, the coal ash leached into the groundwater supply. And we've had coal ash difficulties in Virginia, as I recall, and West Virginia. Uh, yes, yes, yes. We are still having major coal ash issues, and that is even throughout the state. So it is not just in southwest Virginia. It is in central Virginia. It is even in northern Virginia, where we have these coal ash ponds that have never been properly built and now need to be cleaned up. So every year in the legislature, we normally see bills about cleaning up the coal ash ponds. Yes. Okay, so I guess that obviously is why you decided to run for the board of directors of the Rural Electric Cooperative. Tell us more about the, the Rural Electric Cooperative and the difference between it and Dominion. Well, Dominion is the largest electricity provider in Virginia. The second largest electricity provider is also an investor-owned utility, Allegheny. Mm -hmm. And the third largest energy supplier, strangely enough, is Rappanic Electric Cooperative. Mm -hmm. There are 12 electric cooperatives in Virginia. And one out of six Virginia residents receive their electricity from an electric cooperative. Now, what's an electric cooperative? Well, back in the 1930s, when America was basically electrifying, 
the rural America didn't have electricity and the big investor-owned utilities put their foot down and said, we are not going to go out there and provide electricity to these farms where we've got, instead of 50 houses per mile, we've got like 10. Mm. We're just not doing it. It financially doesn't make sense. So FDR said electricity is a right, and we are going to electrify America. So they came up with the notion of rural electric cooperatives. But they said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Number one, electric cooperatives are going to be nonprofit corporations. They're not going to be investor-owned like Dominion. So they're not going to operate purely profit-based. These electric cooperatives are going to be neighbors all kind of working together and sharing resources to bring electricity into their community. Mm. So while Dominion has people who buy shares, rural electric cooperative, everybody that pays a bill is a member owner. Meaning you are not only a member of the cooperative, but you are an owner and every member owner has one share. Wow. You know, yeah. it, it, that so sounds like Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not at all surprised that he would have done something like that. But I'm uh, each time we talk about this, I learn more about it as well. And I guess you have done this, but let's give you a chance to add more before we go to a break, if you wish. The issues that most concern you that have uh, sort of formed your decision to run for a board of directors of? It's interesting. The name of the cooperative is Rapanic Electric Cooperative. Oh, yeah. So most people refer to it as REC. And when you see the bright yellow trucks, they'll say REC, which is our logo. And then underneath, it'll say Rapanic Electric Cooperative, which is really a mouthful. Yeah. So <laughs> I am running with two other people. I'm running with Mike. Vineyak, who's in Region 1, I'm in Region 6, which is Caroline County, mm -hmm. and then uh, Dr. Jack Manzari is running in Region 7, which is Louisa County. There are nine members of the Board of Directors, and each member serves three years. So that means every year there are three board members that are up for election. I am running because I'm a reform candidate, as are Jack and Mike. Mm -hmm. And what we want to see changed in REC is this. Number one, we want more transparency. If we are indeed member owners, we want to see board minutes. When the board meets, and they meet nine times a year, mm -hmm. we want to see the minutes. What did the board decide to do at that meeting? If we are member owners, we deserve the ability to know what did you as the board, which is the governing body, decide to do. Mm -hmm. One of the other reasons we're running is we are very pro-member voices. Mm -hmm. We believe that the members should be able to look at the bylaws and say, we've got an idea 
that we think the governance of the organization should be changed. We want to be able to, as a group, petition for a change in bylaws. Again, we are member owners. It's not like, well, you know, Dominion provides a service and people who don't own Dominion stock don't believe they're member owners. Well, all over the Rapanic Electric Cooperative website, they always refer to us as member owners. The other issue we have is we want to make certain that we have mandatory term limits. Now, if you ask the board, they will say, oh, we have mandatory term limits, and the term limits are five terms for 15 years. <laughs> well, my question is, if that's the case, why am I running against a person, an incumbent, who's been there 20 years and is now trying to add three more years onto that? So mandatory isn't mandatory for everybody. It's mandatory for some, mm. which simply means it's not mandatory at all. Exactly. So we really want to look at governance issues like that. And then we want to see REC provide broadband. We also want to make sure that REC does fair elections so that the board members or the um not the board members but so that the board members stop reelecting themselves which seems to be the main thing that happens we want the members to be able to elect the board members that okay. is not exactly how that works now okay i'm going to cut in we must take a break but we're going to pick up right on that point our guest today, Andrea Miller, who is the executive director of People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group, a nonprofit that promotes clean energy in Virginia and nationwide. Andrea is a former congressional candidate, a fierce advocate of solar energy, climate justice, and fair voting practices. Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Before 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk News Radio Program. Our guest today is Andrea Miller, who is the Executive Director of the People Demanding Action, a multi-issue advocacy group. We're talking a great deal today with Andrea primarily because she is running for office, and that being to become a member of the Board of Directors for the Rappahannock Electric Cooperative Board in Region 6 of the Commonwealth of Virginia. You were telling us that there are things that the current Board of Directors, the kind of common practice is they just keep re-electing themselves and it's not very transparent and things are going on and you and the two gentlemen with whom you're running, the three of you running together, is what's the thinking behind that? Is it to come in as a block? and replace uh, a block of people, or what? what is that? Well, we are running as a slate to take advantage of economies of scale. So instead of producing three separate brochures, we have one brochure where all three of us are on it. Mm. Instead of having to do three postcards, again, we've got one postcard where all three of us are on it. So again, we think it's historic that this is probably the first time possibly ever that there have been three challenger candidates to the three incumbent board members. Mm. See, and that's what I was thinking. You talk about it. It's not just the, which is impressive enough to have a joint effort like this en masse, but it looks as though the challenge is to give a clean sweep and get some refreshing transparency and other issues. For instance, you started to talk about broadband. People still don't realize when you get out into what we used to call the country, out into rural areas, students, families, they don't have broadband access. Tell us about that. Well, and that's a huge problem. It's a huge economic problem because rural communities are beginning to die as people who lived in rural communities and remain there age, there isn't really much of anything to attract younger people to move to rural communities Mm. because you figure younger people have children that are in school. Well, even in rural schools, they still do a lot of their AP materials are online. A lot of the homework is online. Mm. So if you don't have high-speed internet in your house, imagine your kids normally get homework maybe Monday through Thursday. You are either having to go pick them up late from school so they can use school computers or you've got to take them to the library or a local McDonald's somewhere where they have internet connectivity. Now, imagine you run a small business, and the business you run is an internet business. Even though you might be very interested in moving to a rural community, realistically, you can't because you don't have the infrastructure to manage your online business. Mm. Wow. Now, Caroline County is still considered a rural county. I live in a very developed area of Caroline County. I have high-speed Internet, but I pay $300 a month for it. That 
isn't reasonable or affordable for most people. Mm-hmm. Now, 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 let's look at people who are really rural. Let's look at farmers yes. who have to live in rural community because that's where their land is. Yes. Now, a lot of the new farm equipment, just like all new equipment, yes. is highly computerized. Exactly. Yes. You don't have the internet, then you aren't able to take advantage of the online diagnostic and you're going to have to pay extra to have people come out, manually bring their own equipment and do the diagnosis there. And then this is perhaps the most serious one, healthcare. Mm. In rural hospitals, they normally don't have the budget or the ability to attract some very, very intense healthcare professionals. So what a lot of these folks do is they use telemedicine. The VA offers telemedicine for veterans. Well, if you don't have any internet, you can't take advantage of telemedicine. So that means if you need specialized care, now you're going to have to travel. So there's a huge economic downside to the communities. They've got nothing to entice younger people to come in. There's a healthcare downside. They can't utilize telemedicine. There is a huge educational downside because the children in rural communities without internet, how are they going to be able to compete with urban and suburban children who do have internet, who are able to do their research and do all of their work online? This is really a crisis. And what Congress and the Commonwealth and other states are looking at is just as they had to create the rural electric cooperatives to electrify America, we are looking at in the 21st century, realistically, communities can't survive without the Internet. So they're looking for major solutions to provide broadband. Now, rural electric cooperatives are in a perfect position to provide broadband services because they already have the right of way directly to the front door. Yes, exactly. They're, they're already yep, there. Exactly. You're delivering electricity, and in many, many instances, you can deliver Internet over the exact same infrastructure. Wow. I grew up with uncles, all who were in the Second World War, and my father, too, as well. And the stories they would tell were just unimaginable to me. But what I find disturbing is that much of what you're describing still exists for people living in rural areas. And farmers, of course, are being in the middle of a trade war provided by their own government, but I won't go there. But I just wonder, um, what then do the board of directors do? Because it sounds as though you're running for the right position, uh, because that's where somebody has to make a difference. And the difference that is needed seems to be Uh, at least for rural areas, seems to be this board of directors. So when is the election? How do we vote? What are the three of you wanting to change day one? Well, all right, now, 
the easy part. You can vote. Everybody that's an REC member, you pay a bill with REC. You are entitled to vote for three directors, and it doesn't matter if they are not in the region where you live. We run based on where we live, but we are elected to serve at large. So that means even though I live in Caroline County, Albemarle County is, or at least part of it is in REC County, people in Albemarle can vote for me. Now, last month, in your July Cooperative Living magazine, the back cover contains a ballot. All you do is tear that ballot off and then vote for Mike Biniak, Andrea Miller, and Jack Manzari, and then drop your ballot in the mailbox. It is already postage paid. So you don't even need to worry about putting a stamp on it. Now, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Andrew. Tell us, this is a magazine we get in the mail. Tell us about it a little more. Well, every month, REC members receive a magazine that's called Cooperative Living. And that is the magazine that is put out by the sort of collection of electric cooperative. We have a magazine. And then it's it's really a national magazine. But each cooperative gets their own pages where they put in all their local stuff. So if you are a member of Rapanic Electric, your magazine is going to say Rapanic Electric, and it's going to add information about how to vote for the board of directors. It's got our pictures in it, and it tells you where on the website. We actually have our bios on the website where you can go and see our bios, and we've got videos on the website where you can go and you can see our videos. Now, if you pay your bill online, which more than 60,000 of our members do, then you can also vote online. Hmm. And those are the two ways of voting that are listed in the magazine, that are listed in the magazine and on the website. We say you can use the ballot in the magazine or you can vote online. Now, this is what's disturbing and why we say their elections are not fair. It seems there is a third way that you can vote that isn't mentioned anywhere. You can actually go into an REC office, and a lot of people go to REC offices to to pay their bills. Yes. Right. You can go into an REC office, and you can vote at an REC office. And so our thing is, wait a minute, where is that written down, that you can go vote in an REC office? And our concern is that when people go in to pay their bills, normally you're kind of in a hurry. I'm here. I owe you this amount of money. Here's the money. You know, mm-hmm. stamp, you know, give me my little receipt. I paid my bill. I go on my way. Mm-hmm. Well, in some offices, they tell people, hey, there's a board of directors election. Would you like to vote for board member? And mm-hmm. a lot of times people are taken aback. They're like, what? A lot of people 
don't exactly read the magazine mm-hmm. they can throw it away so it's really easy to miss that there's a board of elections meeting and that you by virtue of the fact that you're paying a bill can actually vote so since people trying to pay their bill a don't have time or the ability to go to the website watch our videos they may know absolutely nothing about any of the candidates that are running. So what they do is they sign a blank proxy. And what they don't understand is if you don't vote for a candidate, you are giving your vote to the board of directors and they can vote for whomever they want. And they always want to vote for themselves. Mm, uh, right, right. Now, what what we would like to see is we understand they need to get a quorum. What we would like to see is at the office, fine, people can sign and give them a quorum. They shouldn't be signing and giving the board their vote. Mm-hmm. We are member owners. We each have one vote. It's not like Dominion, where I may have one share and you have 8,000 shares. Mm. No, we all have one vote. In many instances, these are rural people. They don't understand how proxies work. They don't get that they are giving away their vote to the board of directors. Okay. Tell us, for those who can get to... uh uh, an internet. What is the website where we can get all of this information? Visit recreformcandidates.com. We have information there about our platform. There's information about each of our backgrounds. We have little videos that we made ourselves where you can learn more about us. And then we give you the link to vote online and you can read all about governance at other electric co-ops and what all of our concerns are about and with REC. Now, I do have to say that Rappanic Electric Cooperative, as an electric company, they provide phenomenal service. As a matter of fact, I normally describe it as boutique service. Mm. I know when I lived in Spotsylvania, when there would be major storms and people would be without power for days, if not weeks, we were never without power for more than a couple of hours. So they do a phenomenal job running and operating a power company. What concerns us is the job they do with governance. Mm. Governance and operations are two totally separate things. Operationally, they are sound. Governance, it's a little shaky. I'm going to have to talk about one more thing. Sure. Go ahead. Long-term power purchase agreements. That's another area where boards of directors make decisions. They decide, is 
the, the rural electric co- cooperative, are they going to provide broadband? That's a decision the board makes. They also decide because Rappanic Electric Cooperative transmits power, they don't generate it. They decide where they're going to purchase their power. One of our concerns is that eight years ago, REC entered into a 45-year, that's multi-generational, power purchase agreement and they want to compare that to a 30-year mortgage Mm. how ridiculous in 30 years we know if we're still alive we are going to need a house to live in we also know in 30 years it is highly doubtful that the technology of what constitutes a house is going to change that much. Mm-hmm. It's going to be four walls, something covering over the top of it, and then we are probably going to have some kind of electricity. Mm-hmm. To say that electricity or how we get power into our homes is going to be the same thing in another 37 years is absolutely ridiculous. The most transitional business that we have is the energy business. We don't know what we're going to be using primarily to generate our electricity in five years, let alone 37. Mm. All right. Uh, we do have to go, but I wonder, is there a telephone number, thinking of those who can't get online, is there any kind of hotline where people can call if that's the, the easiest and uh, best way for them to get answers? Well, not really. Not really. Again, it's designed to be paper or online. Uh-huh. The voting when you mail in your ballot, it actually gets sent to Minnesota for processing and counting. And then when you vote online, that's online voting. You could certainly call the phone number that's on your bill, Mm -hmm. and hopefully someone there would be able to direct you. Now, there's actually one more way to vote. If people want to come to the annual meeting, which used to be the way that it was always done, Uh you would go to the annual meeting. The annual meeting is on August 22nd. It begins at 6.30, and it's at the Carl D. Silver Convention Center in Fredericksburg, Virginia. You can go in person, and you've already voted, and you go, oh, I didn't know about these people running. I want to change my vote. You can go to the meeting, and you can change your vote by appearing at the annual meeting. Oh, my goodness. Well, that, that's interesting. So uh, there. We'll be at the annual meeting. Okay. And that's August 22nd. That is August 22nd. That's correct. Okay. Yes. This has been grand, as it always is with you, and always in education. It's just so much beyond the city limits of just a different world in some cases. And we need to know. We need to connect. So one more time, that website. And also mention your website with uh, People Demanding Action as well. Our candidate website for our board race is recreformcandidates.com. 
And then my main website is peopledemandingaction.org. Okay. Is there a specific date that your vote must be in by? Your vote must be in by 5 p.m. on August 19th. All right, then. Well, thank you so much, Andrea Miller. We wish you and your entire slate of running for board of directors to be successful because it sounds like the area, the rural area, needs what you are trying to bring to it. Thank you, Martello. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for your well wishes. Always the best. Always wishing you the best. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye now. Taking care of an Alzheimer's patient is a pretty much a full-time Fifty percent of caregivers die uh, while they are caring for awareness someone. about Alzheimer's and research. Just because someone's mind is being diminished does not mean that uh, the ordinary physical things don't happen. They can uh, have a sore throat and not be able to tell you. They can have something in their eye and not be able to explain it. So you have to be aware that in every respect, life is still going on for them physically, even though you are focused on the, uh, the mental dementia, the, the person is still living a life physically and emotionally. For all those who see this video, I hope you will learn more than I ever did before you ever have to know it. That's my message. Support, please, the Alzheimer's Association. Thank you. Please call 800-272-3900. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Our choice, an America in the lane for good or the lane for evil. Words have the power to inspire both good and evil, whether I love you, increasing harmony and human decency, or the hostile venom spewed by fraudulent political leaders repeating migrant invasion. Hate has no place in our country, except it seems in the words of our 45th president, turn folk hero for those fearing the loss of perceived supremacy. Those who worship those who incite violence and those who empower them to kill make a hard right with Russian trolls, social media addicts, and the conservative Republicans into the lane for evil. America's parallel racial highways have been destined to crisscross again ever since the 60s intersected Jim Crow with nation-bending assassinations. Now, in an era where elected officials are more problem than solution, intimidating our fourth estate with hyperbole, inciting a home of the terrified, empowering mass-appeal domestic terrorism gunplay for Caucasian survival, we the people are duty-bound to hold accountable all local, state, and national lawmakers who have either forgotten or simply ignored their duty to preserve, protect, and defend the innocent against historical festering hate explosively reawakened by the permission of averted Republican congressional eyes and rallying racist rants reviving a Trump second term rising on a whitewashed foundation of civilian ownership of AK-47-style rifles. Facing the rising horror of a third of us assuming violent dominion over all the rest of us, conservatives must join those calling Trump-inspired and NRA-enabled mass murders a cesspool of hate 
with discussion that glorifies shooting massacres. The longer Mitch McConnell succeeds in corralling congressional conservative Republicans, the more America's shining beacon of light on a hill will be a blaze of gunfire blinding freedom-loving people to a re-election strategy, which is terrorize voters into cowering in their homes Tuesday, 3 November, 2020. The lane for good is peopled by Americans standing in long lines to donate blood, not those who defend their bottom line by blaming mental health and video games. Mental illness isn't main driver of mass shootings except perhaps when, one, Republican Senate prefers vacationing over medical professionals offering to help identify shooters before they snatch away family lives. Two, holding sacrosanct rifle association that launders foreign money to sway American elections. Three, GOP gives acting agency heads a pass without confirmations. Four, caging asylum seekers. Five, assuming impunity for committing murder on Fifth Avenue. The lane for evil? One, private racial profiling prisons for profit. Two, jerry-rigging America's judicial system. Three, Senate camaraderie with Russian oligarchs opposing American elections. Four, inquiring minds conduit for hush money bribery. Five, donations to politicians hidden from electorate. Six, presidential high crimes and misdemeanors. Seven, failing to impose punitive damages on those who inspire murderers. While our media smirked, Believing Trumpism an anomaly, a one-off shot across our constitutional bow, the lane for evil readies the win-lose-or-draw arsenal for Trump now, Trump tomorrow, and Trump forever. Purchases for bulletproof backpacks for kids going back to school shoot up. The foreign forces and domestic finances who placed Trump in power to dismantle American institutions and environmental protections have no intention of allowing what motivates their agenda to be defeated. And with Steve Bannion's minions returning from Ukraine training in violent overthrow, we cannot expect to vote reason into the hearts and minds of the unreasonable. So... America's best lane forward may be a green median path of humanity, saving lives from those who make our laws, enforce our laws, and disobey our laws, knowing all nations face the challenges of mental illness with or without internet connection, but few can match America's murder record. Second only to corporate money, the quickest way to get politicians to do something is for all of us to act first peacefully but actively demand we divorce America from Mitch McConnell's revenge plan for our judiciary branch and replace it with a legal mindset more akin to the advocacy of the Social Poverty Law Center and Anti-Defamation League. Because the reality we face now is there are among us Americans who will resist a peaceful transfer of presidential power. First, we must admit Trump, Pence, McConnell did not make us. We made them. Fortified by this wisdom, the lane for good empowers nonviolent, peaceful assembly, passionately advocating for justice for all in PTA meetings, town halls, street corners, police precincts, engaging with first responders, polling military to confirm 
Americans in the lane for good far exceed the violent lawlessness in the lane for evil. Secondly, in 2019, remember Dr. Martin Luther King who said, those who love peace must learn to organize as effectively as those who love war. And like Puerto Rico, provide Trump-Pence-McConnell a Ricardo Rosello exit strategy. One day, the last victim will be killed in the last mass shooting. If we choose to live in the lane for good and do something. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.